Chapter 24 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 24. A furious tempest raged during the supper, which meal lasted just two hours neither more nor less, even on fast days, which were religiously observed, but which never prevented the Count from indulging his customary habits, no less sacred to him than the usages of the Romish church. Storms were too frequent in these mountains, and the immense forests which then covered their sides imparted to the echoes a character too well known to the inhabitants of the castle to occasion them even a passing emotion. Nevertheless, the unusual agitation of Count Albert communicated itself to the rest of the family, and the baron, disturbed in the usual current of his reflections, might have evinced some dissatisfaction had it been possible for his imperturbable placidity to be for a moment ruffled. He contented himself with sighing deeply, when a frightful peal of thunder, occurring with the second remove, caused the carver to miss the choice morsel of a boar's ham, which he was just then engaged in detaching. It cannot be helped, said the baron, directing a compassionate smile towards the poor carver, who was quite downcast with his mishap. Yes, uncle, you are right, exclaimed Count Albert in a loud voice, and rising to his feet. It cannot be helped. The Hussite is down. The lightning consumes it. Spring will revisit its foliage no more. What say you, my son, asked the old Count, in a melancholy tone. Do you speak of the huge oak of the Schreckenstein? Footnote. Stone of Terror. A name not unfrequently used in these regions. Yes, father, I speak of the great oak to whose branches we hung up some twenty monks the other day. He mistakes centuries for weeks just now, said the canoness in a low voice, while she made the sign of the cross. My dear child, she continued, turning to her nephew, if you have really seen what has happened, or what is about to happen in a dream, as has more than once been the case, this miserable withered oak, considering the sad recollections associated with the rocket shaded, will be no great loss. As for me, exclaimed Amelia, I am delighted that the storm has rid us of that gibbet, with its long, frightful skeleton arms, and its red trunk which seems to ooze out blood. I never passed beneath it when the breeze of evening moved amid its foliage without hearing sighs as if of agony, and commending my soul to God while I turned away and fled. Amelia, replied the Count, who just now appeared to hear her words for the first time, perhaps for days. You did well not to remain beneath the Hussite, as I did for hours, and even entire nights. You would have seen and heard things which would have chilled you with terror, and never have left your memory. Pray be silent, cried the young Baroness, starting and moving from the table where Albert was leaning. I cannot imagine what pleasure you take in terrifying others every time you open your lips. 
Would to heaven, dear Amelia, said the old baron, mildly. It were indeed but an amusement which your cousin takes in uttering such things. No, my father, I speak in all seriousness. The oak of the stone of terror is overthrown, cleft in pieces. You may send the woodcutters tomorrow to remove it. I shall plant a cypress in its place, which I shall name not the Hussite, but the penitent, and the stone of terror shall be called the stone of expiation. Enough, enough, my son, exclaimed the agonized old man. Banish these melancholy images, and leave it to God to judge the actions of men. They have disappeared, father, annihilated with the implements of torture which the breath of the storm and the fire of heaven have scattered in the dust. In place of pendant skeletons, fruits and flowers rock themselves amid the zephyrs on the new branches, and in place of the man in black, who nightly lit up the flames beside the stake, I see a pure celestial soul which hovers over my head and yours. The storm is gone, the danger over. Those who traveled are in shelter. My soul is in peace. The period of expiation draws nigh, and I am about to be born again. May what you say, O well-beloved child, prove true, said Christian, with extreme tenderness, and may you be freed from the phantoms which trouble your repose. Heaven grant me this blessing, and restore peace and hope and light to my son. Before the old man had finished speaking, Albert leaned forward and appeared to fall into a tranquil slumber. What means this? broke in the young baroness. What do I see? Albert sleeping at table. Very gallant, truly. This deep and sudden sleep, said the chaplain, surveying the young man with intense interest, is a favorable crisis, which leads me to look forward to a happy change, for a time at least, in his situation. Let no one speak to him or attempt to rouse him, exclaimed Count Christian. Merciful heaven, prayed the canoness, with clasped hands, realize this prediction, and let his thirtieth year be that of his recovery. Amen, added the chaplain devoutly. Let us raise our hearts with thanks to the God of mercy for the food he has given us, and entreat him to deliver this noble youth the object of so much solicitude. They rose for grace, and everyone remained standing, absorbed in prayer for the last of the Rufelstadts. As for the old count, tears streamed down his withered cheeks. He then gave orders to his faithful servants to convey his son to his apartment, when Baron Frederick, considering how he could best display his devotion toward his nephew, observed with childish satisfaction, Dear brother, a good idea has occurred to me. If your son awakens in the seclusion of his chamber while digestion is going on, bad dreams may assail him. Bring him to the saloon and place him in my large armchair. It is the best one for sleeping in in the whole house. He will be better there than in bed, and when he awakens, he will find a good fire and friends to cheer his heart. You are right, brother, replied Christian. Let us bear him to the saloon and place him on the large sofa. It is wrong to sleep lying after dinner, continued the baron. I believe, brother, that I am aware of that from experience. 
Let him have my armchair. Yes, my armchair is the thing. Christian very well knew that were he to refuse his brother's offer, it would vex and annoy him. The young count was therefore propped up in the hunter's leathern chair, but he remained quite insensible to the change, so sound was his sleep. The baron placed himself on another seat, and warming his legs before a fire, worthy of the times of old, smiled with a triumphant air whenever the chaplain observed that Albert's repose would assuredly have happy results. The good soul proposed to give up his nap as well as his chair, and to join the family in watching over the youth. But after some quarter of an hour, he was so much at ease that he began to snore after so lusty a fashion as to drown the last faint and now far distant gusts of the storm. The castle bell, which only rang on extraordinary occasions, was now heard, and old hands, the head domestic, entered shortly afterward with the letter which he presented to Count Christian without saying a word. He then retired into an adjoining apartment to await his master's commands. Christian opened the letter, cast his eye on the signature, and handed the paper to the young baroness, with the request that she would peruse the contents. Curious and excited, Amelia approached a candle and read as follows. Illustrious and well-beloved Lord Count, Your Excellency has conferred on me the favor of asking a service at my hands. This, indeed, is to confer a greater favor than all those which I have already received, and of which my heart fondly cherishes the remembrance. Despite my anxiety to execute your esteemed orders, I did not hope to find so promptly and suitably the individual that was required, but favorable circumstances having concurred to an unforeseen extent in aiding me to fulfill the desires of your highness, I hasten to send a young person who realizes, at least in part, the required conditions. I therefore send her only provisionally, that your amiable and illustrious niece may not too impatiently await a more satisfactory termination to my researches and proceedings. The individual who has the honor to present this is my pupil, and in a measure my adopted child. She will prove, as the amiable baroness has desired, an agreeable and obliging companion, as well as a most competent musical instructress. In other respects, she does not possess the necessary information for a governess. She speaks several languages, though hardly sufficiently acquainted with them, perhaps to teach them. Music she knows thoroughly, and she sings remarkably well. You will be pleased with her talents, her voice, her demeanor, and not less so with the sweetness and dignity of her character. Your Highness may admit her into your circle without risk of her infringing in any way on etiquette or affording any evidence of low tastes. She wishes to remain free as regards your noble family and therefore will accept no salary. In short, it is neither as a duenna nor as a servant, but as companion and friend to the amiable baroness, that she appears just as that lady did me the honor to mention in the gracious postscriptum, 
which she added to Your Excellency's communication. Signor Corner, who has been appointed ambassador to Austria, awaits the orders for his departure. But these, he thinks, will not arrive before two months. Signora Corner, his worthy spouse and my generous pupil, would have me accompany them to Vienna, where she thinks I should enjoy a happier career. Without perhaps agreeing with her in this, I have acceded to her kind offers, desirous as I am to abandon Venice, where I have only experienced annoyance, deception, and reverses. I long to revisit the noble German land, where I have seen so many happy days and renew my intimacy with the venerable friends I left there. Your Highness holds the first place in this old, worn-out, yet not wholly chilled heart, since it is actuated by eternal affection and deepest gratitude. To you, therefore, illustrious Signor, do I commend and confide my adoptive child, requesting on her behalf hospitality, protection, and favor. She will repay your goodness by her zeal and attention to the young baroness. In three months, I shall come for her and offer in her place a teacher who may contract a more permanent engagement. Awaiting the day on which I may once more press the hand of one of the best of men, I presume to declare myself, with respect and pride, the most humble and devoted of the friends and servants of your highness, Carissima, Stimatissima, Illustrissima, Nicholas Porpora, Chapel Master, Composer, and Professor of Vocal Music, Venice, the blank of, blank, seventeen, blank. Amelia sprang up with joy on perusing this letter, while the old Count, much affected, repeated, Worthy Porpora, respectable man, excellent friend. Certainly, certainly, exclaimed the canoness Wenceslawa, divided between the dread of deranging their family usages and the desire of displaying the duties of hospitality toward a stranger. We must receive and treat her well, provided she do not become weary of us here. But, uncle, where is this precious mistress and future friend? exclaimed the young baroness, without attending to her aunt's reflections. Surely she will shortly be here in person. I await her with impatience. Count Christian rang. Hans, said he, by whom was this delivered? By a lady, most gracious lord and master. Here already, exclaimed Amelia. Where? Oh, where? In her post-carriage at the drawbridge. And you have left her to perish outside? instead of introducing her at once? Yes, madam, I took the letter, but forbade the postillion to slacken rein or take foot out of the stirrup. I also raised the bridge behind me until I should have delivered the letter to my master. But it is unpardonable, absurd to make guests wait outside in such weather. Would not anyone think we were in a fortress and that we take everyone who comes for an enemy? Speed away then, Hans. Hans remained motionless as a statue. His eyes alone expressed regret that he could not obey the wishes of his young mistress. But a cannonball, whizzing past his ear, would not have deranged by a hair's breadth the impassive attitude with which he awaited the sovereign orders of his old master. The faithful Hans, my child, said the baron slowly, 
knows nothing but his duty and the word of command. Now then, Hans, open the gates and lower the bridge. Let everyone light torches and bid the stranger welcome. Hans evinced no surprise in being ordered to usher the unknown into a house where the nearest and best friends were only admitted after tedious precautions. The canonist proceeded to give directions for supper. Amelia would have set out for the drawbridge, but her uncle, holding himself bound in honor to meet his guests there, offered his arm to his niece, and the impatient baroness was obliged to proceed majestically to the castle gate where the wandering fugitive Consuelo had already alighted. End of chapter 24